21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. When you're a startup and you're pushing for that 100% plus growth year over year, you become entirely focused and consumed with the growth of your business. This is really why I think a lot of startups are starting to invest in security because what was happening historically was startups were just doing everything that they could to grow. And that means product innovation, delivering on time with product features that you're promising customers and prospects, and then go to market, go to market, go to market. And so what started to happen was it became obvious to, when we started looking at the stats in, in, the, in 2018, 19, 20, we see a lot of the major data breaches that affected very large corporations, like for example, the target breach, which I think was in 2017. See these breaches happening and then finding out that it's actually in their vendors. The, the problem is coming from the vendors. What happens is is these large corporations, their vendors can be a, a very you know very strong area or trajectory for a malicious entity or a hacker, a nefarious hacker to go in and 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 gather data. And and I saw it in my last business. We worked in the music festival space. We see it saw data breaches all the times where where it would be one of the vendors. And so that really forced you know the learnings that companies had really forced. A, a different level of scrutiny on startups. And, and I think most buyers, whether it's government or enterprise or even mid-market now, they know that when you're a venture-backed startup, they know that you're hyper-growth focused. And, and they're aware now that, that a lot of businesses in those situations aren't putting a lot of time and effort into security. So they've upped the ante. They've upped the initiatives in terms of how deeply they look at uh, the data security, the data privacy practices of these startups, knowing that historically startups were not really known to be focusing on that. They're focusing on ship features fast, not ship features fast and securely and well tested all the time. So, so you know, really what we've seen happen So we go back, we look, you know, 20, 20, right from the beginning of SaaS startups up until a couple of years ago, most SaaS companies were always doing the minimal viable that they can they could get by with. In some cases, almost nothing. And then what happened is we saw this demand for external third-party audits, for annual penetration testing, for other security things. We saw this evolution of security questionnaires where enterprise organizations would ask very very pointed questions towards the security practices. And now looking at what I saw happen in 2022 and now more so in 2023, it's actually going into the contract degree level now. So we're seeing if you're a, you could be a 10 person startup, a five person startup, a hundred person startup. It doesn't really matter how big you are. 
And I hear sometimes young companies go, oh, we're only a five-person startup. Like this seems like overkill. It's like, well, from the from the perspective of an enterprise using your platform, they don't care. It's not about how many people. It's it's about what risks you introduce to that business. And so the size of your business is not a gauge of how much your customers are going to expect you to invest in security. It comes down to the risk that you expose that customer to. That could be a risk of confidentiality, so a breach of data, breach of confidential data. It can be an integrity, so if they're relying on your systems or your technology or your services and accuracy is highly important, then that could be a risk. If it's availability, like if you're a ticketing provider or a you know a gate uh, company that does RFID access to a, to a festival or event, if you shut down when the gates are open, that might only be an hour but that hour could be detrimental to the customer experience and then the new one data privacy so we're seeing data privacy regulations i think europe was probably one of the more loud uh, you know gdpr coming out being uh punishable as of 2018 that really set the stage and now we're seeing data privacy regulations coming up popping up or becoming more complex all around the world country to country and even in some cases like the us and canada and state by province so what we see in the contracts now now that you have your your data privacy lawyer or you have your general counsel involved in thinking about security not only you're getting asked a security questionnaire being mandated to do a SOC 2 or an ISO or some sort of third party audit but also you're being required to sign a document where you're committing that your organization is in fact doing all of the following things. And that could be a page or eight or nine or 10 pages of very specific practices around things like data encryption, data residency, awareness training, onboarding, things like that, right? So the the, the real force that, that has come upon the 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 software world the startup world is that right now if you're a so- software company you can't sell to government you can't sell to enterprise you probably can't even sell to mid market unless you have a strong security program certainly if your business is is storing or processing any large amount of data and now in 2023 the big thing that we're seeing in terms of trends is now it's really hard to get insurance and we're seeing enterprise buyers mandating that their supply chain has a certain amount of coverage from a cyber risk. Well, if you don't have a cybersecurity program and you're not able to articulate your cyber risk program, you're not going to be able to get the insurance that your customers want. So so you know I think I think you're right. Like this driven, this growth-driven mentality has put in security in the back further than the backseat. It's just, you know, it's been out of mind in a lot of cases. But what I'm seeing is the buyer, the buyer of the SaaS product has increased their sophistication and they've raised the bar of expectation. And that's what's really forcing and creating this this increase in spend from startup founders, earlier stage companies, investing in information security and data privacy. Regarding vendor data privacy, the GDPR topic, contract levels, and the current market landscape for your company and similar ones, of course. How are you managing your growth? If I understand correctly, the opportunities now are big. How are you capitalizing on them? What project management methods do you employ? And can you share your learning journey? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a great question because effectively, yeah, the problem we solve is information security, data privacy for SMBs. But yeah, we are a venture-backed, high-growth um, SaaS company. We're an SMB and we're, you know, we're trending on average of over 100% year-over-year growth and we're on track to do that again this year. That's the world we live in. We are we are what we sell too. And 
and yeah, I mean, you have to be very deliberate about it because even as a cybersecurity company, I think, you know, out of the gate, you get the benefit of you have a lot of cybersecurity professionals on your team. And and so the, the practices are pretty indoctrinated in. We do a lot of, on, we do strong onboarding. We prioritize uh, security risks in our processes. In other words, when we're drafting out, or we're scoping out a new feature, we have a section in the scoping process where we look at risks. And those risks include risks to data privacy. They include data security risks. So if we're adding a new feature and that feature increases our exposure or, or means that we're going to process or store more data or data that's at a higher degree of, of confidentiality, then, then we look at that and, and we ask the tough questions. Do, do we need to store all this data? Are there other ways? Can we obfuscate the data? Um, are there other ways that we can? And then we look at things like encryption and who has access to the data and, and we go through that. And then when we do our testing, we don't only, we, we are testing everything in the scope. So we're not just testing for, you know, does the feature work? Does the feature look well, does it look good? We're also testing the feature from a security perspective. So if we have a new major feature that now, you know, increases sort of that 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 surface area that an attacker could take advantage of, we will at the bare minimum will drive intelligent um testing towards that, both human testing, but also uh, automated testing with vulnerability scanners that can you know, do credentialized scans and things like that. And if it's really, really major, we'll even do a pen test. Now we have the, we have the, the joy of having in-house pen testers because pen testing is one of the things that we we do for our customers. So, um, you know, we, anytime we do anything major, we have our, our, our security team look at that uh, and make sure that it's, it's tested from that perspective as well. Um, so that's that's really a big one. Like the way we look at risk for our for our SaaS platform is and this is the case for I think a lot of startups is a lot of companies they have you know you have one SaaS platform and you have this giant multi-tenant database. If you don't have the right security controls around that application, around that database, around that that hosted environment, it it could be one you know one person gets it all kind of scenario, right? So. And that goes for you know errors. That goes for availability. That goes for the confidentiality element. So, so it's you know very important to look at the product and make sure the product is very secure. And then it's your people. Do your people? Do you have policies? Do your people read them? Do they understand them? Are the policies the right policies for your organization? Do you do awareness training? Do you do it regularly? Things like that. And then just really, really locking down access control. I think one of the challenges that startups have is they generally start off, everyone's wearing multiple hats. And so everybody needs to have access to everything. And that can make sense when you're three or four people and you you are effectively kind of doing a bit of everything. But as you start to grow your business, you really need to think about role-based access controls, right? It doesn't make sense. Like salespeople don't need to be able to go in and access all the data in one of the customer accounts. Like that's not necessary. They may, you know, you find ways to dashboard key critical KPIs and usage data or you know, whatever is appropriate for your business. We call it in security, the concept of least privilege. And it's really just looking at who absolutely needs to have access to what. And the more you can limit that access and the more you can track and monitor and log that access, um, that, that's going to protect the business from if one of the individuals, your employees are hacked or inside malicious actors. And the other thing I would say is like, or accidents. 
not all breaches are are the result of some malicious nefarious actor coming you know coming like you know with, with the hoodie on in the coffee shop in the corner hacking your business I've seen a lot of data breaches where somebody has shipped code in a company and it's you know late in the day Friday after a long week and they cut a few corners on the testing because they wanted to hit the deadline because the growth engine needs the, the product and you know all of a sudden now you're getting reports of people being able to access data that they shouldn't have like why do I see all these records they're not part of our account well that's data breach and you know if the wrong if one of your competitors, if let's say, you know, your two companies using HubSpot or Salesforce, you wouldn't want your competitor to somehow be able to get access to your Salesforce leads and stuff. I mean, that's, you know, that's a problem. So they're not always these nefarious, malicious activities, right? So, so yeah, you got to prioritize security. And I think where we are now, I th we're, we're seeing improvements in, in the mentality that startups have towards security, but I would say there's still a problem. And that problem is a lot of the startups see it like this. It's in the way of them closing deals. So they're willing to pay to fix the problem, but they're, not, they're thinking of it transactionally. They're not actually thinking of changing. It's almost like if you think of the, the, you know, the American dieting phenomena versus like, versus just getting on a really good diet and making some, 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 some healthy improvements in your life over time, you'll get great results. You know, American, American mentality is, is like, we, I want the pill. I want the thing I can take that makes me look awesome and fit in six weeks. And, and you know, I don't really want to make major changes to how I think about things. And it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in dieting and it doesn't work in cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is a practice. You can't just fix your cybersecurity program and then return back to the status quo that you were following before. It'll deteriorate. That posture will deteriorate quickly and you'll be right back in the same place that you were before uh, you put the Band-Aid on it. So that's the challenge. I st still see a lot of companies really just think about it like, I'm just gonna get my sock too so we can keep selling. And, and they're not really taking the, this, the, the the whole thing seriously. And it's getting to the point now where we're seeing regulations popping up where I think we're gonna start seeing people get charged for, for signing these contracts. It's already happening in larger businesses. It's fraud. If you sign a contract that says you're gonna you're gonna do a penetration test every year and you're gonna follow and comply with this regulation and this standard, and you just sign that and completely ignore it, that is that is a failure of due care due diligence. That is fraudulent activity. You made a commitment when you signed that, and and that's the world we're moving into. So, you know, I think it's it's exciting to see that things are starting to be taken more seriously. But yeah, earlier stage companies need to take this, need to need to upgrade their thinking on this. This is not like you don't just go eat kale, you know, drink a kale smoothie every day and hit the gym every day for six weeks, kind of thing, and then you're good. You go back to eating pizza and drinking beer. You you really do have to get, um, you really have to look at your business differently, and you have to incorporate security and privacy into your business. In the space, we refer to it as security and privacy by design and by default. It's not a Band-Aid. It's not an afterthought. You are talking about your people. So, for example, your security team, not, not only your people, but on the level of entrepreneurs, most of organizational structures are now based on VAs. The integration factor and the security factor, especially after the COVID. 
so many companies are virtual now, whether they're virtual within one country or spanned across multiple countries or spanned across the entire world. My perspective, and, and you know, there's there's a lot of things that most of the, the information security world will agree on, and then there's a whole bucket of things that we all uh, agree to disagree or we argue on. I don't personally think that from a pure security stance that there's, I don't see a huge risk in having people spread over multiple geographies. The question becomes what's the, you know, the, the, the question that does come up is what's the degree of, of, of lawful surveillance in a country? Um, you know, and so there, that is a consideration. This becomes a much bigger topic, in my opinion, when you train, when you move over and start talking about data privacy, because depending on the privacy regulation, you can start getting into data residency conversations. And so if like GDPR is a great example, there are, there are data, it's a great example of a data privacy regulation in which data residency is, is a component. And some, not all jurisdictions around the world are created equally in the eyes of these regulations. So, um, you know, having an employee in Canada accessing the data of a European citizen uh, is going to be different than having a person in the U.S. even. And there's even some differences there. Certainly when you get into other countries um, that there's, you know, I'm not going to get into naming the list of, of countries, but there are countries where data privacy uh, is, is a very different topic and they don't stand up to that. So, you know, certainly something you, you have to consider, particularly on the legalities with data privacy and who has access to what. Because um, even if the data is hosted in, in let's say the data is hosted in Europe, but if people are working with the data from Canada and from the US and from Russia and from China and from Morocco, and your people are going up and they're getting, they're accessing it, and maybe some of that is getting the, ending up on their machine, or you know, things can get really complicated there. Every situation has its unique components, and that's that's a part of the practice of any good cybersecurity company. They're not just going to try to layer a, a blanket a blanket approach so everybody gets the same thing. It really starts with identifying what those risks are. What are the confidentiality risks? What are the integrity risks? What are the availability risks? And what are the privacy risks? And then looking at what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve. Do you need what, you know, who, go, getting back down to that, who needs access to what? And really coming up with the right controls and the right program. Um, and you might find out there's some things you can't do. Like some organizations realize that, hey, we need to move our data. We can't sign this hospital in France and have our data in this database. We need to move this to a different database. We need, we can't have all of our team access this data. We have to think about how we're going to treat this this data set, right? And then that's the other thing that's 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 even becoming more complicated is you don't have to just think about the regulations and the standards you need to comply with, but in these security addendums, you're seeing customers start to mandate certain things. They may not want their data stored in a certain region outside of the fact that there's no real regulation that states that, you know, the data can't 
from a from a legality, from a political perspective, be stored in that area. They might not want the. I've seen organizations say, hey, "We don't want our data outside of Canada." Now, there's no regulation that that's mandating that they can't do that. But in their own policies and procedures and controls and how they're managing risk in their business, they want the data in Canada. They don't want the onus and burden of trying to understand how well the U.S. or another country uh, is going to stand up when it comes to 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 the to the data requirements that they have. So it it yeah it gets it gets pretty pretty complicated, um, and it's not a one size fits all. Like I would say, like there is a big bucket of things that is pretty much standard. Like very few people are going to argue that you know using unique complex passwords um, in all your different things versus using the same password or using the name of your dog or your address. That's a good practice. We're not going to have a lot of argument around that. Most people aren't going to argue that you know having multi-factor authentication as another layer of security around password security is a really good idea. Very few people are going to argue with that. Same goes for awareness training and making sure your employees understand to the you know applicable to their to their role what they need to understand. No one's going to argue about that. Um, but yeah, but there's a lot of stuff there that that you might have to get creative in how a business is going to operate and you might have to make some changes, right? When you're talking about the quality control, again, I think quality control can be unique to the environment. And you know, we've, we constantly make improvements to our quality control. We're looking at automated uh, tools now. We use some automation in our code base that can look for code base vulnerabilities. And, and we're in exciting times right now. There's a lot of things that AI and, and some of these new age tools can do that. And, and there's, there's enough competitiveness in the cyberspace that products are becoming more accessible to smaller businesses to have quite sophisticated products. Now, AI can't do everything. There's still, you can't, the humans aren't being replaced yet. Um, you know, maybe there's a day in the future where, where that happens, but there's a long road between now and then. Um, but yeah, there are great tools out there that can find cold code-based vulnerabilities. You can be running real-time scanners all the time on your on your system to make to identify any any known um, vulnerabilities, or you know if there's any updated patches or security updates that are available for your dev stack for your toolage, etc. There's tools you can use now to monitor your cloud environment, like an AWS or a Google Cloud or uh, an Azure environment and so on, to make sure that you're you're following the best practices in terms of configuration. A lot of them have generated their own baseline, like AWS has their own security baseline for best practices in configuring and managing an AWS account. Uh, CIS, Center for Internet Security, makes baselines for a lot of the popular cloud providers. There's a lot of stuff out there um, you know, that that is highly recommended irrelevant to, to you know in my opinion irrelevant to which business like password managers and things like that but um but yeah you do have to look at the the business itself the the challenge of security is security is meant to to keep the business secure but but also allow the business to to thrive and and one of the challenges and you see this sometimes in mid mid market businesses where you have security folks come in that are really strong in the security front but aren't really necessarily that strong on the on on the other business elements and you see like these overbearing security controls that you know that are slowing people down i had somebody the other day they couldn't click on my calendly link right their security their firewall wouldn't let them book a meeting with me and it's like well there's probably you know, you've probably some adjusted, probably some improvements you need because your 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 staff need to be able to to integrate with the outside world. 
Um, you know, and this becomes more and more a challenge, like the olden days of just locking down your perimeter. Every all the computers are in one building, and you've got your firewalls, and you could really lock down this perimeter. The perimeter is very virtual now, right? Like, you know, a commons a common SaaS company might be using up to 30 different SaaS tools themselves. Each one of those is looked after by another third party, another small to medium-sized business. Each of those is a cloud environment. And a lot of times you're integrating a lot of the data from these various tools, um, you know, to generate KPIs and, and do all kinds of stuff like that. So, uh, and then you, as you said earlier, adding this concept of, of virtual remote workers and, and assistants, you know, spread across the globe. It's, it's getting, it's getting a lot more complicated. I remember the good old days, like in 2008, you and a couple of your buddies get together with a startup idea, go in your mom's garage. And it's like, you know, break things, you know, like make, fail fast, move quick, break stuff. Like, and, and I think like the, the, the irony in it all is like the enterprise organizations leveraged and acquired so many SaaS platforms because their convoluted process oriented environments did not spawn that same type of creativity and innovation that the startups have. But now we're now with the new challenges like, okay, now we have to, these startups that are 15, 20 people that have to comply with seven or eight data privacy regulations and maybe one or two or even three security standards. How do they build? How do they still maintain that fast velocity and that creativeness in in, in building, uh, you know, ch changing the way people do things? But they're getting all this, you know, they're getting all this red tape kind of stuff down their throats, uh, you know, from the from their buyers. Right. So that's kind of the space that I find myself in. It's like, well, if we can indoctrinate into organizations, security by design and by default, trust me, it won't be as painful as going about your life for you know five six years of putting on 10 15 pounds every year getting more and more out of shape and then realizing oh shit i need to have to i, I need to i need to, i need to fix all this but if you're thinking about it mindfully and you build better practices in your business you don't have that challenge right you, it can it can become natural where your default state is pretty damn secure Carbide is an information security and data privacy company. We work with small to medium-sized businesses, basically engaging them into security in a way that they can bake security into their culture. So again, back to that concept of security by design by default. We do that by giving them a platform, but what's really unique is in our company, we have a lot of expertise across the company. So as a customer of Carbide, you have access to very smart, very competent information security data privacy folks that are active in and focused on small to medium-sized businesses. We know startups, we know SaaS companies, and we know what the expectations are when you're selling to small, when you're selling to enterprise, and when you're selling to government. And we know what the trends are. And that's that's what we do. So it's 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 risk management. It's the private. It's the policy creation. It's projects showing you, educating you on what you need to do. And it's also integrations. We have about 130 integrations with a lot of common SaaS platforms. We have a cloud monitoring solution. We also have in-nose pen testing and vulnerability scanning. 
So we're really the place where an organization can come and design the appropriate data security, data privacy program for their current state and their growth plans. And we can connect them with all of the pieces of the puzzle that they're going to need to build that out over time. You in five years, your company in five years. Is there an exit strategy involved as well? I always remain open-minded on that. The way I look at it, so what I think is is, is going to happen and in, in, in quite aggressively in the next couple of years, and it's already starting now, is a lot of consolidation within the cybersecurity and data privacy space. And I believe, and, and what I believe is that that's what the customer wants. And the customer gets what the customer wants. It might take some time for that evolution to occur, but that's what the customer gets. And what I realize now, and I especially especially with the smaller businesses, that they're not going to have a large security team. It might be one individual. It might be one individual owning that with another responsibility and having like maybe some committee uh, associated to that. But at the end of the day, they don't want to build a cybersecurity stack that includes eight or nine or 10 vendors. It's just it's, it becomes too expensive from a time perspective, from a from a financial perspective, and then there's all the burden of making sure that those tools and services they're all collaborating and working together. So that's that's what I see happening. So you know, it's really going to come down to to how things go in our trajectory. Either we will be leading our own roll up, in which case we'll be adding new functionality, acquiring new functionality to become one of those players that can really be the security one-stop shop. And, and we've already made some inroads in that with our features, with partnerships and whatnot. Or, you know, the right partner might come along and it may make sense, um, you know, to join to join forces in, in some other merger. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But my belief, especially when it comes to the SMB, the small to medium-sized enterprises, my belief is that you're going to want to have a one-stop shop or or at least a couple of security vendors, not double digits security vendors to build your uh, entire, like, you know, the, the enterprise model, you're going to have your auditor, you're going to have a security operations center, you're going to have a security insurance firm, you have your endpoint protection, you have your firewall provider, you've got your clouds, you know, your cloud security awareness, it's it just tick, 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 tick. It, it, that's a lot to manage. And, and, and certainly, um, you know, certainly what we're seeing out there is a, is a big opportunity for consolidation to really bring up that level of service and, and bring the pricing so you can, you know, get the efficiencies of scale for the SMBs. If you want to learn more about what we do at Carbide, just simply go to carbidesecure.com. Uh, and you'll be able to see everything you, you need there to learn about what we do. Um, and, you know, you can very quickly and easily uh, reach out to the team if you'd like to talk a little bit more about what our services in the context of your business could look like. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Imagine a space where triumphs trials, and tales of entrepreneurship come alive. Welcome to the 21st Century Entrepreneurship Podcast, a gold awarded journey hosted by Martin Piskorik, connecting with listeners in 95 countries and ranking in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. Join our exclusive community, elevate your perspective, and embark on the path to success.